Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nullcast. Sometimes it just goes live and it says second one, then sometimes it goes live and it says like second 10. So if you uh, are sitting there and watched me or listened to me, give you eight seconds of silence, apologies. Uh, but off we go. Bud, got a bunch of different stuff to talk about. Uh, you, uh, you've you been having your eye on the draft and a couple other things. I was down in Tallahassee last weekend for uh, football-related stuff so we can... Uh, both draw upon those experiences and put together another null cast. Uh, as always, want to thank our friends. FSUHomeLoans.com is the website. Chad is the guy you're working with. Uh, this is the group that has brought you more than 500 closings via the null cast, uh, one of the better partnerships that anybody could ever ask for uh, in American podcasting. Bud's done it twice. Um, I'm still looking at a, a place in Virginia that uh, I will draw upon their expertise if and when that should occur and uh, can promise you there's no better group to go through the mortgage process with other than uh, Chad and his team. Absolutely, man. They do a tremendous job and uh, may, may see Chad uh, this weekend, actually. So looking forward uh, to that. Um, I got a lot of things on the list today. Do we care about court storming? I feel like that's been all over Twitter. I really don't give a damn about court storming. I, I, I think Jay Billis' idea to arrest people who court storm is not going to happen. Um, yeah, just beat the hell out of them otherwise. You know, I mean, I mean that happens in Europe a lot. If you run out on the field of play, you, you catch a beating. So, uh, you, you know, realize you're not going to be able to do that to 2,000 people. But there probably do need to be consequences for, uh, you know, for people – and uh, all this has been talked about it for. We don't yeah. want to talk about it. But also, like, it's one thing to storm court. It's another thing to storm court while trying to take a uh, selfie or a video of yourself and, like, inadvertently run into a bunch of people. We've, uh, right. Technology, unfortunately, has made what was a dumb activity a, uh, a very, very stupid one. So I think yeah. you almost have to, like, embrace it, normalize it, and be like, okay, like, hey, we will storm the court. You need to wait, like, 10 seconds, you know, until the other team gets off. Or just, like, have the security walk the visiting team off. You know. here's here's what i'll say about this uh because i see it in another sport so uh i enjoy watching uh some college wrestling occasionally okay don't get to not a not watching a dual meet on a tuesday night or something like that but i'll pay to be, pay attention to the big tens and then the nca um almost 90 percent of the boil over points that you have in college wrestling is when the guy goes and shakes the other hand's team and either mouse offs to a coach or somebody else on the bench or whatever. My point here is we can do away with like the handshakes, stuff like that. Just yeah. people, game's over, people get off the court. And, you know, if you want to run around and, and jump in the middle of the uh, logo at the center court, then yeah, I guess that can be uh, what you do. But just whatever we can do to expedite the clearing of the court is probably a good decision at this point. I think I agree with you there. Okay, so uh, yeah, I just I found most of that discussion boring. I just wanted to see if, if we had any like unique solutions for it. Um, speaking of proposals, the the word that uh, I think some of the reporters are using now is socializing. So the the uh, the members of the college football playoff uh, management group, not the committee, uh, they're socializing a fourteen team playoff plan. Have you got your eyes on this thing yet? Uh, yeah, I have uh, looked at it a little bit, familiar with some of the number breakdown. Just going to take a chance for a second for me to get used to this in general. Somebody sent me the odds for the playoffs a couple of days ago. Oh, yeah. 
And I almost texted you because I had forgotten we were moving to 12. And I'm like, I don't like, I'm not a big odds man, but none of these odds make sense. Uh, yeah. But yeah. And then I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's different next year. Exactly. So, um, so 14 teams basically is the Big Ten and the SEC saying, like, hey, we expanded our leagues. We are worried that we're not going to get enough of our teams in and our, our teams are not going to be happy. We can't really take away the G5s automatic bid because then we we not that we would lose the antitrust case but we would probably have an antitrust case on our hands and that's not really something that we want to fight right now so we need to figure out a way to make sure the g5 still has a bid we need to make sure we have a way to get the votes to do what we need to do and we need to have something we can present to espn so that this tv deal that we've essentially signed with them uh, meaning we as as in the college football playoff has essentially signed with ESPN uh, can be officially finalized because it's not done done because the format starting in 2026 is not done done. So the logical end point here is that you add teams while keeping the same number of AQs for the G5 and you try to kind of horse trade a little bit with the number of AQs uh, for the Big 12 and the ACC. The current proposal is that the Big Ten and the SEC each get three, which I think you and I said on the show, like there's zero chance that anybody's going to vote for each of those leagues to get four. Uh, and then the Big 12 and the ACC each get two automatic qualifiers. And the G5 gets one. Uh, Notre Dame, if they finish in the top 14, would, would essentially gobble up one, which would leave uh, two or three at-large spots which in my modeling is almost always going to be filled by Big Ten and SEC teams anyway. Two um, of the three will almost certainly be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like there's so rare a situation where you have three ACC teams uh, that are are you know, really in that caliber, um, which honestly, I don't mind this that much if, if this is all it was. Like it, it is an admission. If, if TV money wasn't a thing, I'd say just stay in the ACC and let's roll. Uh, yeah. yeah, right. Now, here's the other problem with this. Okay, so do I think it's equitable for the Big Ten SEC, SEC to have one more auto bid than ACC? Yeah, I do actually, right? I mean, there's like three teams in the ACC, if you want to stretch it, that are like serious. Hey, if they made the playoff, could win the playoff type teams, you know? And that's kind of a stretch because Miami had done a damn thing for about a quarter century now. But, uh, well, no, that's not true. Two decades, accuracy actually matters um but the revenue distribution on this is is i think something that's going to be a bit hard to vote for if you are the acc or the big 12. so source this is from pete thamel's article last night sources told espn that discussions have centered around the sec and big 10 earning somewhere between 25 and 30 percent of the college ball playoff revenue the acc and the big 12 would be next they'd earn somewhere between 15 and 20 percent and that leaves a smaller chunk, somewhere around 6 to 10% for the other leagues and nearly 1% for Notre Dame. Um, so uh, Sankey has made it clear that the SEC has delivered 40% of the teams in the playoff, and he's been one of the primary drivers behind a new revenue model. If this is just like, hey, we need these AQs and the money will, will reflect the AQs, automatic qualifiers, again, I don't really have a massive problem with that, but if this is guaranteeing 30%, to each the SEC and the Big Ten, independent of the AQs, that's where I think it, it, there is a bit of a problem because it essentially implies that, let's say the ACC 
got four teams in one year and the SEC only got three. I don't know. Maybe you have like a 12 and 0 and 11 and 1, 11 and 1 SEC, and everybody else is like eight and four or worse, you know? Uh, and you have four ACC teams that are somehow in. The SEC still makes more money off the playoff in that situation. I don't know. That could be a non starter if you're Jim Phillips. Also, by the way, admitting that your league is inferior by allowing more AQs from the SEC than the ACC. Can Jim Phillips, is that a tenable position for Jim Phillips to vote yes on? Mm-hmm. Like, because they're currently in a lawsuit where they're trying to say, like, the ACC is a great league. And yes, and literally the school we cover is like, ah, I don't know about that. Interesting times here, man. No, it's a good, uh, it's a good angle on this, which I hadn't otherwise uh, thought about. To be perfectly honest with you, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, th- I would think it's more or less understood at this point, but uh, you know, we all do things for legal posturing that uh, might not match up with you know that of what everybody wholeheartedly believes. Uh, so, uh, plus Jim Phillips is he's on, he's on top of court storming. You know, so uh, oh. the, the first ninety seconds of the pot, he's uh, he's he's got that. He'll get the, he'll get his arms wrapped around that pretty quickly. He is dialed. Uh, yes. Um. So I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. If not for TV revenue, this is a. Again, I think a lot of things are coming up FSU. Uh, I don't think we're going to go to employee model within like the next year or two. I think eventually we will. I think FSU is fine to compete for the next couple of years. You know, like like obviously their modeling says they're going to be making less money. Agreed. Uh, I'm very worried about that in the long term if you didn't get out, but in the short term, like less so. Uh, I think they will get out sooner rather than later. But in terms of access, I think you feel pretty damn good about access here, right? If you if you can't finish top two in the ACC, how are you going to do in the playoff? Probably not great. So uh, access, I, I think they're, they're pretty well fine for it. Um, I also just kind of wonder, man, I think you and I both think FSU's out of the ACC in in short order and, and probably sooner rather than later. Um, what happens if they agree to this and then FSU and Clemson and Miami and somebody else bounce? Do they just kind of reconvene and say, well, all right, we have this look back clause here and we're going to change the number of automatic qualifiers. And the ACC is going to go from a, a one automatic qualifying team or from a two to a one. Which would make some sense if you lost Clemson, Miami, Florida State, or a couple of others. Um, but right now you can't do that because you need sort of unanimous uh, consent to change the format, which is the third thing that, that they're kind of having over. It's format, it's revenue distribution, and it's the governance piece there. Right now you need the unanimous. Um, but I think going forward, they will probably not. This is another thing they're pushing for to be able to have more flexibility. And I think that the desired flexibility it really comes from two things. One, the two biggest leagues who have the vast majority of teams that could actually win a title and who, who draw you know, most of the eyeballs, they want more control. Is that a good thing for the sport? Probably not. But ultimately, you know, it, it is what it is. Money's going to drive this sport. They also want to be able to change things more rapidly without having as many concessions, which if you lost FSU, Clemson, Florida State, Miami, you know, from the ACC, that would dictate a change in format, I think, because there's no way that the remaining teams in the ACC should have two automatic qualifying bids if you were the perspective of the Big Ten or the SEC, right? 
Now, if you're the ACC, you're like, hey, stop stealing our teams, <laughs> right? You know, type thing. So um, that is is a pretty interesting piece of this to me. I don't know. We will see kind of what happens there with that. I did see the playoff odds. We can do that real quick if you'd like. Um, so Florida State actually has... They are tied for the eighth best odds to make the playoff. Are they negative 240, 250? Yeah, 250. So okay. uh, let me see. We've got the team. There's actually some some interesting tiers here. So Ohio State and Georgia, way up there, like 90% essentially to make. Then Oregon, Texas, uh, also way up there. Then Clemson, Florida State, Kansas State, Michigan, Utah. Actually, no, not scratch Utah there, are all pretty similar so that's like some interesting tiers and then you have some uh old miss miami arizona penn state penn state got bet pretty hard as they should have i think um tennessee alabama <laughs> with the 15th best odds to make the playoff quite curious there then followed by louisville uh kansas lsu notre dame notre dame got bet again by the way um those are all pretty interesting teams to me um and I think what it implies here is that the ACC is pretty likely to get two in this year, which is good. You would have to think. I mean, yeah, not that the ACC is in a place of strength to dictate a whole lot, but if you're in this conference, in this setting, and you're only getting one in under a, a 12, 12 team umbrella, then, um, yeah, that, that's. That's very, very bad. Uh, yeah, so I, I would think, too, particularly with, uh, you know, Miami looking, this is kind of their year. They've they've done what they've done to to build for this year. Um, yeah, you would, I, would, I would think that the ACC would be able to get two in, uh, at least. Totally. Uh, Aiden has a live question, or Adrian, sorry, he says, do you think teams like Miami, North Carolina, and Clemson would stay if they are promised two automatic qualifiers? Not with the Delta and the TV money. I mean, the the Delta and the TV money is a uh, unsustainable thing for anybody. I mean, if there's if there's a school that's out there that would love that scenario, um, in theory, it's Clemson. I mean, they've got Ipte, they've got um, you know the the upstate of South Carolina has been an economic driver for the last thirty years. Uh, we've talked about how a bunch of Clemson fans who were you know had a couple of hundred acre farms are all of a sudden worth an awful, awful lot of money based off just what's transpired in that part of the country. Um, and Clemson knows that they can't compete with a South Carolina or a Tennessee or a Georgia or whoever else that they butt up with uh, both on the field and, and in recruiting. If you're running at a 35 year negative or $35 million negative Delta compared for any kind of prolonged period of time, uh, you know, not to mention the last decade or so where that, you know, what started at five and a half or six million has now grown to potentially 60. Um, that's that's crazy. So, no. The only way I could see that to push back on you, and, and I this is just sort of for the sake of argument, I, I definitely don't, uh, um, I, I definitely don't think that this would happen or is all that realistic. But you said, like, given the current TV money structure, and you're right on this. But that also implies the continuation of even revenue distribution. If, if it actually comes to nut cutting time 
and you're like, hey, Boston College, you have two options. You have. You see what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, but I mean, under to really make that work, you're going to have to force teams to take like a 10, 10% share, which, Correct. yes, you're right. You yeah. know, can, can you walk no, like, I was thinking down the hallway and, okay, like 5%. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got to get dry. I mean, can you walk, wake down a hallway? And so, so what is that? That's $1.8 million roughly under the current TV deal. I don't know. Is that more than they make in, in Conference USA? Is that more than a, because like, like what? Is Boston College gonna gonna outrate Liberty? Are they gonna mm -hmm. outrate? You know, Conference yeah. is a bad example. Uh, how about the American? Right, like is what's the difference between Boston College and Tulane as far as TV ratings? Mm -hmm. Nothing. Yeah. Right. So very little, if anything. Yeah. Also, agreed. I think the appetite uh, to it's it's very clear with some of these these deals that are going on with leagues that the appetite for the mid-major stuff, if you're trying to scale, is you know is, is pretty low, right? Now there's still going to be deals for it, and there are definitely still people who watch it. I'm one of them. I actually enjoy it. I don't. I don't need to watch. Like I don't need this playoff stuff shoved down my throat all the time because I don't. I don't watch college football just for who's going to win the national title. That's a very small portion of college sports that I enjoy. Um, but. So, you know, no, I mean, look, just one quick Google doesn't mean that this is absolutely accurate, but it looks like each team in Conference USA makes about $800,000 a year in TV money. So, okay. All right. So if you're like, hey, BC, you get $5 million a year in TV money. How do you really think you would do in a renegotiation? Now, they might say, guess what? Florida State, you're paying us two fifty. Miami, you're paying us two fifty. Clemson, you're paying us two fifty. We're rich, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know... I, I, we'll, we'll ride it out from there. The, mathematically, it, it probably makes sense to take the deal and take the beatings. However, the problem is that it, it's the there's a people problem to this. You can't be the, the AD at Boston College or the president at Boston College that signs off on this. It's better to go down swinging and make it look like it was something you fought and to lose that fight than it is to try to be proactive secure more money even at, at a, a vast difference compared to what your some of your conference mates are going to make it's just it's not something you can go back and you can sell to your constituency so that's why they won't do it probably mm -hmm. but i guess in theory we can't completely write that off you know but yeah right john baker in the chat says no way an admin can agree to that they'd get fired totally Yeah, I mean, they'd get fired, but, I mean, we make jokes all the time that, you know, Wake would be playing, like, Washington and Lee and, you know, yeah, Ferrum and stuff like that if if they're not. I mean, they wouldn't fall that far, but, you know, Wake's a school of, I don't know, what, 4,200 people undergrad or something like that. It's, uh, yeah, you would have to, you'd have to really be tactful in the art of persuasion, uh, but also very firm and, and make people realize as to what else is out there. So, uh, yeah, interesting. Some of these capital projects that, that, that some of these schools have debt on, by the way, will probably influence these decisions. You know, it, it, you, you, you have creditors and they're going to want to have a say, just like private equity. Like mm -hmm. A lot of these schools do, do carry some private debt already. Uh, so... I don't know how many are in the middle of building like new facilities or whatnot, but you know, some of those are 
uh, pretty lavish and of questionable need if we uh, speed to the employee model uh, quicker than than some people think. I, you know, I don't know if you saw the thing with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, they rated dead last in the NFL in terms of uh, facility experience and player experience. Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 A little, yeah. little bit of a reduced level of importance when it comes to Sundays. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I don't think that, do I think premier league promotion relegation model will work? No, I don't because of, I just think it's something, I mean, in theory it could work, but it just won't work. There's too much like budgeting that goes on. Yeah. Long-term planning to not know where, where your footing is. You know, that's one of the reasons FSU is trying to get out of the ACC. They're yeah. totally fine right now. They're fine for 2025. I think they'd be fine for 2026 for the most part. Now, there are some ancillary factors that progressively could make recruiting tougher, right, if you're not in one of these two leagues. But your job's not the plan two years ahead. If you're Mike Alford and you, if, if you're McCullough, you know, President McCullough, your, your job is to plan long-term. And that's why you, you kind of have to get out of it. I don't know that you'll ever see a promotion relegation model in this country, really in any sport just doesn't fit with what ownership's expectations. And you got to realize there's a like, it doesn't mean that this body is the owner of all these teams by any means, but in, in England is the example, there's a, there's something called the FA, which oversees all of football within England and, and the uh, United, yeah, the within England. Um, and so, as an example, there's league cups throughout the season that if you're a you know a level three team, you can participate and in theory win a league cup or an FA cup or whatever else. But there's no like you're not. I don't like. There's a reason why there isn't pro rel in the MLS because owners don't want it. Why no, nobody's going to buy into this situation and then sign off on the idea of having a you know, a triple A or a double A type budget in five years because things didn't go well. Um, it's an interesting conversation. I don't know that it's something that we'll see a whole lot of on this side of the pond ever. I, uh, I, I tend to agree with you on that. I had a couple other things here before we get to the next topic. Uh, oh, I really don't care about this summer signing period thing at all. Uh, I, I, I get it. Coaches and administrators want to reduce their workload at all costs. I don't fault them for this. I think in any job, you want to reduce your workload if you can without reducing your pay. And it's a bit like paying with a credit card because with staff turnover, it's going to be chaos. <laughs> but if you can give yourself more semblance of a summer to be able to take a summer vacation and, and more, just take the workload off your plate a little bit more with some of this summer signing stuff. I think coaches are going to want to do that. And I don't really, really think they care about the consequences. You know, we, uh, that's the reason why we have December signing period now is because they wanted to stop babysitting their commitments essentially in, in their mind, which in sales, we would just call that continuing to manage a relationship to the finish line, which is what everybody in sales kind of has to do. Uh, but they wanted to move that finish line up so they could stop maintaining that relationship with the player that they're paid to recruit uh, and give themselves, uh, seven more weeks between you know, early signing period and traditional signing period. I think that's what you have here. Honestly. Um, do you have any real thoughts on, uh, on the early signing period stuff on the, on the summer signing period? Yeah. yeah. I, I, we're off a, a ways from that. In my opinion, no, maybe, you know, maybe we'll see movement there. That would surprise me. 
if they did do that, um, I would, I would wonder if there's not maybe a cap. I mean, you don't, uh, I don't know. I, I guess if you're going to it, you're going to it, but is there a school out there that would really want, well, I guess under what you just said, yeah, people, you know, people like to get work done and have hay in the barn, but I would be hesitant about having 23 kids sign in the summer. Uh, obviously the, yeah. the seven on and uh, the proliferation of seven on and everything else has, has sped up the evaluation process. It's also made it much more accurate than what it is, but uh, man, a lot of times you want to see a kid play a senior year of high school football. Uh, you know, there's, there's a, only so many prospects that these schools are, you know, full in on at, at, at the June before their senior year. Now, you know, look, the top 100 guys, whatever. Yeah, obviously. Um, but, you know, think about how many schools really recruit from that pool. And I just think you'd be doing a disservice to an awful lot of staffs and an awful lot of schools. I tend to agree with you on that. Um, I also don't think that many prospects would actually sit out their senior year of high school. Uh it, it's not like going from, from college to the NFL. Like you actually do need the development. Um, so a couple probably would running backs would like, if I, if I was already a running back getting like, like top five, you know, type offers as a junior, I could see sitting out my senior year of high school. It sucks. Cause like it's very business minded, but I mean, I, I saw Leonard Fournette at 16, 17. The only reason that guy couldn't play in the NFL was a rule. You know, Dalvin Cook was ready to play in the NFL at 19, for sure. Adrian Peterson easily could have played in the NFL and played well at 18. Some positions just peak earlier and are ready to go, but most don't. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't think that many guys would actually sit out. Uh, I think if you are a school, uh, you're not really excited about that. Uh, you'd be pretty disappointed, I think, if, if a player showed that level of non-competitiveness that he wants to sit out his entire senior year of high school. Uh, you better be a damn good player if, if you want to get uh, you know, some serious uh, marketing opportunities. It also really hurts your marketing opportunities, by the way, to sit out and not play. Playing is good for your marketing opportunities overall. I uh, lost you, I think. Hmm. It was working before. And then you, uh-oh, I think we lost Graham for a second. Uh, yeah, so ultimately, I, I don't think this early signing period is going to be that that big of a problem. Um, hey, Chad's in the chat now. Nice. He was slinging some loads. Bingo, buddy. Yeah, I, does early signing period impact FSU that much? Kind of doubt it. Graham, you want to be added back to the stage? Yo. All right. You got me? Yes, I do. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened there. Uh, sometimes StreamYard, if you disconnect a mic or something accidentally it won't re-recognize it oh yeah. Uh, yeah all i was saying there is that you would um you know you, you need you need those reps as a player you need to you know like in in soccer not to go back to that but you know they they talk about the need that you need to go out and get x thousand amount of touches a day just with the ball and to steal a senior year from you is um i, I would be very concerned about what that would take from your developmental arc as a player as well so Totally. Um, let's take another sponsor and then let's talk a little more about the NFL combine stuff because that is coming up this week. Absolutely. Want to thank our good friend, Matt Lewis, the team at congruity, Matt and his team have been with us for many years now. And we're proud of the amount of Seminole owned and Seminole affiliated businesses we've sent to them. Congruity HR.com is the website. And uh, as always, if you want to try to, uh, DM me on uh, 
Twitter or X or whatever else, uh, happy to make a third-party introduction. I'm also going to shamelessly mention another former sponsor of ours and, and current sponsor as we continue to work with him, but Homefield Bud, uh, partnering with the Battle's Inn uh, in an announcement that I think nice. was made at 8.50 this morning or maybe 9.50, uh, but we'll be able to continue to send people to our friends at Homefield. Bud and I have loved working with him for years, and that's uh, a good, fun little partnership there that'll be able to give people the opportunity to buy Homefield apparel and support collectives such as the battle's end at the same time so very very cool man awesome job there uh so let me see oh the, the chat thought that they we, we had too many people in the chat so that's why i kicked you off yes, that's so awesome. I would, i'd love to get there at some point yes that, that would be great okay so which you can help us by liking the video subscribing to the channel obviously um combine stuff who do you think needs to have the best combines like for who is gonna who has the most draft capital i'm not gonna say money but like who who has the most like like m most ability to really improve or you know i guess potentially fall at i mean if it's a money thing i think it's keon actually yeah uh, keon, I mean, he's only gonna fall so far but it's a deep year for wide receivers um and keon's uh overall athleticism is through the roof but i do think people will probably overly fixate on on that 40 um so that you know that's the thing that could see a guy be a top 15 pick or maybe a top you know uh 10 first 10 picks of the second round or something like that i like i don't think there's a whole lot of room for keon to fall but there are a lot of wide receivers and um you know his performance will will dictate that and as far as the delta of money that's out there you know, the difference between pick number 15 and pick number 15 in the second round is um, very, very significant. You know, uh, I'll be very proud of Keon and he'll make a good amount of money either way. But, um, you know, he would he would much rather have it come on the front end. I, I can assure you. So I, I agree with you on that. Um, I've been looking at some of these draft stuff. And again, they're all going to change pretty hard. But if you look at some of the, like the grinding the mock draft data, there's a, a real kind of consolidation of the top three receivers marvin harrison neighbors and then a dunze uh, it seems like many of them have brian thomas of lsu fourth i think you're totally right with this keon thing because we saw keon kill it in fall camp we saw keon dominate against lsu and that he got banged up and it was a knee thing from what i recall like, like a, a maybe a bone bruise or something. Um, Contusion of some kind, if I recall correctly. Yeah. And he did not have the same level of burst uh, there on after. We talked about the teams would challenge Jordan to make the throws down the field. Uh, that was not only a challenge to Jordan. It was also a challenge to Keon and to Johnny Wilson. Could they take the top off of a defense? Could they really get deep? We spoke often on this show about how they actually miss Pokey Wilson because of his deep speed. And speed, explosive speed, what was an issue for this offense last year. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Keon is an absolute burner, uh, but he, I believe, is much twitchier than what he showed through the final like 10 games of the season because he was dealing with something. If you're Keon, you got to hope FSU's got really good GPS data on you from fall camp or maybe from that LSU game, uh, there's a lot of like the 
you know, football vision motion capture stuff now mm-hmm. in games team can do, uh, you know, sport radar is doing some stuff, obviously. And there's a bunch of different, um, you can give the compass data. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there and like, I don't, I just think Keon has to prove that it's there. I mean, look, you can, he's, he ran some fairly impressive times at, uh, at Miss state, if I remember correctly. Um, it just, you know, the 40 is a, is a very failed barometer at which to judge a football player and future success. But, um, you know, people will want to see that it was from the, from the pit game on very different player. Um, so totally. Um, so it's going to be big for him. I don't think it's a huge combine for Johnny Wilson as far as downside. I think there is potential upside for Johnny Wilson if he rips off a really good time because that is going to change the the conversation around him. Not change, solidify. I think if he runs a really good time, people are like, okay, he's a receiver, not a, a hybrid receiver tight end. Because uh, I've seen some mocks where he's sort of listed as a tight end. For money-wise, receivers make more than tight ends. That just kind of clue, clue the audience in here. You want to be classified as a as a receiver. Um, Jaheim got invited, correct? So yeah. that's a huge one for him. I've been listening to some of these analytics podcasts. I, I just try to get better at my craft every every off season. Metrics translate the best positionally for tight end. There is no superstar tight end in the NFL who did not have like a 95th percentile athletic score at the combine. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Jaheen is tiny compared to yeah. a lot of these guys. If he does not rip off a crazy good time and have unbelievably good drills, mm-hmm. he's not going to get drafted high. It's the evolution all. of the sport and it and it and it just bringing in the the small forwards and power forwards from the right. from basketball and turning them into tight ends. Yeah. Um Interesting that you say that. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's some downside, you know, like, but then you're like a, look, a guy who I think personally very highly of, one of my favorite players I interacted with all year, Tatum Bethune. You know, is Tatum, if he has a great combine, is that really going to drive him up the boards a whole lot? Yeah, um, you know, it might. Might might lift him around from where he would have gone otherwise. It might get guarantee him getting drafted. Um but I don't think there's a whole lot of downside there. Now I will be as uh you know it's been a long long time since I stepped on a scale in competition, bud. But I'm you know very familiar with the way the body fluctuates with weight and how much weight you can carry and water weight and everything else. Um, you know I, I hope Deloach is doing the the inverse of what I did a lot of times before weighing. I hope he's drinking as much as he possibly can. I'm, I'm I mean he he is. Trust me, these guys have been paired with pros really since the first or second week in December. So they're getting um, top, top level advice on everything from nutrition to, so, you know, I don't, in my mind, I don't think Deloach is in a hotel room trying to, you know, do, do pushups to get ready for the NFL combine or something like that. But, um, you know, I'll be interested to see where he weighs. I think at one of those uh, all-star or East-West games or whatever it was, he weighed in at, 206 207 or something that's and 511 that's, that's yeah. tough from an nfl angle uh it is so totally um, and it's like if you like the if you're an evaluator and you like the player you like the player but you listen to these evaluators it's a job and you have to turn around you have to sell it to your team president you got to sell it to your owner right hey we're going to use a seventh round draft pick on a guy who's 511 205 
at linebacker? Bro, we got safeties that are bigger than that running better times. Like that, those are the kind of questions you are going to get as an NFL evaluator. Like it, it's a it's a pretty cutthroat business. And like your job's on the line. I agree with you. I, I think he needs to have a, a good way in and also have some really good testing times. Um to it's it's all relationship, right? If you're smaller, you better be really, really quick. If you're bigger, you can get away with a, a little bit less quickness. Um let me see here. Is it a stretch to put Braden Fisk in round two? No, it's not. I think he's probably like DT five right now or DT six. I've been looking at some of this stuff. So he's going to be behind Jenkins. He's going to, um, there's a, but I don't know. There, I, I was trying to think about this last night. There's the Murphy kid. Actually, there, there's a couple more I, I had on my list. Let me just pull it up. It's probably easier. Um, I could see him maybe sneak in the background of, of of round two if he puts up some really good times. Like, we, look, we still got a couple, uh, not quite two months before draft. So, um, I'll I'll just say this: maybe it's true in April, maybe it's not. But from talking to NFL people, the three Florida State players whose draft is rapidly ascending are the two cornerbacks and Fisk. Yeah. Uh, Jones, Duda, and and Fisk are the three guys who a lot of teams have had to reevaluate and take up as far as like a full round on their board. So um, if this keeps doing what he's doing, I wouldn't, not a whole lot would surprise me. Okay. So I agree with you. Um, All right. So Newton, the Illinois kid is kind of widely seen as DT one, I guess. (laughs) Murphy, uh, Darius Robinson is more of an end. I'm not going to count him. Like, could he go over Trevondre Trevon Sweat, the, the, the other Texas kid? I, I guess in theory, like, like we shouldn't speak in absolutes. It's there's two months till the draft. Who knows what what he's going to run? Uh, but have you seen Chris Jenkins? You know what a Turkish get up is? Mm-hmm. Did you see Chris Jenkins Turkish get up with the 170 pound dumbbell? I have not seen that. No, bro. <laughs> if you don't think genetics matters, oh well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> His dad was uh was an absolute freak show on that Carolina team that almost beat, uh, I guess they didn't almost beat the Patriots, but they, they, they played hard, uh, you know, for, for a little bit um, in the Super Bowl there. Behind Mason Smith for LSU, again, like, like yeah, for, because Mason Smith, his his top is so freakish, that's one we're going to have to watch. Like, like, that's something that Fisk can't really control. If mm-hmm. Smith is all of a sudden 100%, that's beyond Braden's control. I think Braden's is, as you said, rising up draft board. It's it's pretty impressive. Do you think Renardo needs a really good time? I, I think he has so much good tape and people understand what he is with his technique and his his press coverage. Yeah, he'll he'll have to run a time kind of to what you alluded to a second ago, where it doesn't make you have to justify drafting him if you're a, a player personnel guy. But um I think I, I, you know, look, everybody still has work to do, but I think between his tape and what he did at, uh, I guess it was East West. I don't need to keep going back to which one it was, but yeah, at that, at his, uh, you know, senior all-star game or whatever was, was impressive. Um, he's, he's on a lot of people's boards, uh, and a lot of people are fairly comfortable with their evaluation of him, as I understand it, just based off what translates from tape and what they've been able to do and what they've been able to take away from that. 
I, I think that's that's very fair. Is there anybody else we're missing that needs a really good combine? Oh, uh, Benson has a – we don't do the prize pick sponsorship in the offseason, but I, I do still dabble uh, at times. I did notice Trey Benson, 4-3-9 is his more or less from prize picks. I mean, should we text him to feel how his hamstrings are doing? Or uh... Yeah, I, I think so, man. <laughs> I don't think that would be particularly fair, nor appreciated. Uh, Probably not. Like, yeah, don't um, uh, text me right now. I'm – Kind of more focused on other things. Um, that is four three nine is is rich. Yeah, I mean I know Trey uh, is very very fast. He is. I don't know all the data, but whenever I talk to those guys about GPA data, Trey is consistently putting up like three of the five fastest times over the course of a year. Um, four three nine. Wow. Uh. That I is, take, I take the over. I think you. I think he'll run like a four four one. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to slight Trey. And I'd love to be wrong. I mean, I'd love to see that dude rip off a four three seven or something. But four three nine is freaking blazing. Uh, that is that is really fast. Uh, the other receivers out there. Let me look here. Or sorry, the, the other running backs, not receivers. Excuse me. Uh, Bucky Irving at at uh, at Oregon four four seven. Blake Corum at Michigan. Four four five. Jalen Wright at Tennessee, who's like a legitimate kind of smaller speedster guy. Four three two. Audric Estime, who's a bit of a plotter. Uh, four five. And Will Shipley at Clemson. Four four three. Braylon Allen at Wisconsin. Four four four. So they have Trey. They have Trey as like the fastest non scatback category. I guess we could say here on on Prize Picks. His top speed is impressive. Like he does not really get hawked down from behind once he gets going. Um, no, I don't know how well his training's gone. Hopefully, well, uh, you know, like you said, with, with with the health and the hamstrings, I guess we'll have to see there on that. Um, Fabian got a uh, question in the chat. Yeah, no, I mean Fabian will be very, very interesting. Fabian has some great tape. Fabian uh, performed really well at uh, at the All Star Game out in Texas um, as well. Obviously, he'll you know get poked and prodded like anybody that has past injuries, but. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Defensive tackles. It's not as, it's not, maybe not as combine specific. I mean, you just can't have numbers that really uh, are eyesores, but nobody's, you know, like nobody's really going to choose a defensive tackle based off like, Oh, this guy ran a four, seven, eight, and this guy ran a four, nine, one or something like that. Uh, you know, it, it's tape. It's stuff that's hard to replicate uh, at the combine. Again, you know, you're going to want to bench in line with the position, but that's not something that's necessarily going to, you know, soar you up a, a draft chart either. So um, defensive tackle is a little bit of a different evaluation process when it comes to Indianapolis. That I, I agree with you on that. There are certain positions that are more um, metric specific. For instance, I think it was Ted Seth who, who pointed this out the other day. There has never been a multi-year NFL starter at corner who didn't have this certain minimum broad jump at the combine, like ever. Mm. that's that's kind of a good bright line like if you want yeah, to get fired that, as, that'll, yeah. that'll <laughs> provide some clarity certainly if you uh, if you want to get fired as a gm um that think you found the one outlier on that uh, offensive tackle actually translates really well to the 40 hmm. to the, which i would not really think i would not and, and i don't know i don't know this works in high school but in college 
I guess it translates because like just those are your like the freak freaks are the, are the big big guys who can run you know that fast. Almost all of your best offensive tackles in the league ran really well. Who was the Bama OT like last name Smith that took his top off, and ran a forty? Was uh oh last... yes, yeah, that was yeah. uh that was that was sloppy. Yeah, uh, probably not the best move. To uh, did he run the combine like that, or was that his pro day? Uh, I can't remember. I think you got to run with a top on at the combine. Andre right? Smith, yeah, Andre Smith, yeah, dude, he was, he was a, uh, that was he legendary. He he would he was moving. Like, I mean, there was a lot of him that was moving, but like also as a person, his person was moving down. down <laughs> he could boogie. Oh, man. I, I, I think Florida State, I don't know, if I had to set the, the number of guys to get drafted, looking at some of these boards, I, I think we like some of these guys better than, than the NFL does. You know, are we jaded because we like what they did in college? Possibly. I, I do think there's some chance they can get 10 drafted. It's just going to depend on you probably need some of your more fringy guys to to go. And ultimately as fans, you don't always root for these guys to get drafted. Sometimes it's better to be an undrafted free agent to go to a spot that that works for you than it is to be like the second to last pick in the draft. You know, Brock Purdy would be making a hell of a lot more money right now. If he was, if he didn't get drafted, you know, he would, he would instead. He's got to settle for the eight seventy five or whatever it is. Exactly. Um, tell me about this new stadium, new stadium renovations, man. <laughs> man, yeah, so it was great. So, uh, there was an event in Tallahassee last weekend for um, a lot of larger supporters of, of Florida State football, and um, the Battles Inn was able to invite a couple people as well. Um, it was very interesting. I mean, it was a it was a great look at uh, at just all that goes into um. I, it's hard for me to almost articulate just like the the amount of work that goes into like say a play call on second and seven or whatever. I mean, it's just there's so much stuff that that goes in. I, I literally sat there as a fan and and thought as a you know my how fortunate I've been able to do this, but like man, we make some I make some criticisms based off stuff that's like you don't <laughs> you obviously surface level and and ultimately what you see at the surface level over a prolonged period of time ends up being right but uh there's just so much that goes into so much stuff that that you just don't realize without having a you know a little bit more knowledge of that but um you know the two things that really popped out to a lot of people um and caught people's eyes on social media is, is the issue of the stadium um and the renovations that are there and as somebody who you know, doesn't live in Tallahassee, but spent about 105 days in Tallahassee last year. I guess I kind of do at this point. I think maybe you just take for granted if you're around the stadium all the time, just still how jarring that is for people when they walk up and see it for the first time, uh, see that whole west side of the end zone removed. Uh, but they're definitely working their tail off. And, you know, I, every day I was, I'm down there, you know, it's, somebody's working on something down there. So um, it's a, it's a work in progress. It's going to be, what you would think is a uh, significant jump forward when it comes to revenue generation. Um, also, you know, the amenities um, that the stadium's able to offer, you would think, um, you know, there'll be a, a pretty significant jump in the concession stand experience. Otherwise, you know, all, all the things that you think of when a, you think of going to a, 
a modern NFL or NBA stadium or, you know, the Braves, you can pick up a bottle of water, scan it on the way out. And your you know, your concession experience was 12 seconds long. Uh, there's just ways to modernize it and, and make transactions easier. Um, but yeah, it's still jarring when you go in there and you see, you know, a third of the, a third of the stadium missing uh, and the West side, the home side um, that, you know, a lot of people have so many fond memories tied to uh, the other thing that caught, the attention, particularly social media, was the um, Seminole Heritage jerseys uh, that a couple of people took photos of and took photos in. Um, yeah, they're you know they if you've seen the basketball jerseys, you've got a pretty good idea as to what they translate uh, as far as what they look like firsthand. Um, I have no idea as to whether or not that'll be used in a game sometime this year or any other year. Um, you know, we've seen mock-ups of stuff that took three or four years before they made an appearance on the field. Um, we'll just have to see what happens with those. Uh, I will say that I think the relationship uh, between Florida State and the Seminole Tribe is always a, a priority and always something that they're looking to continue to grow and enhance and um you know, those, those uniforms are born out of that. So, um, I would, you know, keep that in mind as we see more of those, I think, uh, you know, Bud and I, when it comes to the topic of uniforms, I think we're fairly similar aligned. Uh, I don't have a problem with the white uniform or the white helmet. I think it should be used sparingly, but I know the kids love it. Uh, but in general, your helmet is iconic. It's not just a joke or a punchline that, you know, we occasionally make about how the fact that 21 million people voted for it as the best helmet in the nation uh, in one year where, you know, Seminole fans who were particularly adept at technology were able to rig a series or not rig, but, you know, outrigged the other people's attempts to rig it. Let's put it that way when it comes to uh, online voting polls. But, you know, the uniform can be messed with a little bit. The helmet probably needs to, you know, people need to be a little, little bit more cognizant of that. In my personal opinion, I don't know that we ever need to see a black FSU helmet again. Agreed. Um, but yeah, these those uh, you know kind of blue or turquoise, if you want to call them that, uniforms are sharp. I know the players love them. Wouldn't shock me if you don't see them at some point in time. But I don't you know know that there's a definitive plan for that either. I, I just to me, the helmet's the iconic thing. That's the thing that has really not changed that much over the years. It's very identifiable. You have the tomahawks. It, it, it's you have the spirit, like it's the helmet. The, the the jersey has changed a million times, you know, in, in, in my lifetime. I'm basically 40. You know, it, it's if you're like 60, it's changed a hundred million times. You know, it, it sometimes we look like Boston College, sometimes we don't. Like it, it, there's there's so many different iterations of the jersey. Like to me, the jersey's not iconic. That's not a jersey I look at if, as a random college ball fan. If you took the helmet off and you took the pants off, in some iterations of it, I'm like, that that's not obviously identifiably FSU. Now, if you're a hardcore college ball fan, it is. But I think like every casual football fan out there is like, oh, that's the FSU helmet. That's the thing that you, that you don't mess with. Mm -hmm. And in some school, like Michigan changes their jersey all the time. You right. know what they don't really change? The helmet, right? I guess Penn State, they, they did change it up. They went with a stripe the one time that was like, oh my God. Um, so, yeah. Uh, let me see some other questions here from the chat that are good. Uh, Christian Suero says, it took one month to the deconstruction of the Southwest grandstand. So why is this a two summer project? What are they doing between now and August? Not challenging them. Just actually curious. I think it's just, a. <laughs> I think it's incredibly involved to uh, gut a stadium of that size and um, 
put it back together again. I mean, I know the plans and this has always been the plan. So um, I think Populous is the name of the country, or the name of the company that's doing these. They've, they've done several very, very large scale projects. So, I mean, these guys have an idea as to what timelines will be. Um, I don't, you know, want to speak from any place of authority on this, but it's my understanding they had to like, um, there's just things that you have to do to do a project of that size. And maybe one of the first steps was to resecure the, the West side, the, like the press box, the suites, all that stuff are still there. Um, so there was work that had to be done before they could even start the, you know, the demo. And, um, I do think that once this stuff comes online, it will be, uh, you know, first in class from a, from a collegiate perspective and will be a significant change. Uh, but it does take time, to do that. And then every plan that I ever heard of was always going to be for temporary seating yeah. for the 2024 stadium. So I don't, I don't think it's a surprise that this is a, a project, you know, of the scale and, and length that it is. And I don't look, Michael Alford is ultimately the, the authority on this matter. And as is, you know, Stephen Ponder of the boosters, et cetera, but I don't think they're necessarily going to take down the east side, but I do think there's going to be a pretty comprehensive amount of work done on the east side uh, as far as the interior of it uh, once the west side is done. So, you know, there will be construction surrounding Dope Campbell probably until 2026 or so would be my guess. You just, you know, you have um, people have such a hard time getting to games as you fight the modern amenities, especially because of, of the experience that everybody got during during COVID. You know, of 70s TVs are cheap now, right? My my fridge with my cold beer is right there in my house. Like the seating is more comfortable. You have to find more ways to get people to the stadium. Now, look, this doesn't really hit with Nolcast listeners, right? Because Nolcast listeners, for the most part, are the most diehard supporters out there, okay? Y'all would come to the games if it was standing only. And some of y'all do stand only. No business, for the most part, is going to make a killing. And you do it for a business. We we cover a business. Like, let's just be kind of naked about this. No business can work with only its diehards for the most part. Okay? You have to find a way to attract the casuals to come up. You have to eliminate the excuses. You have to create experiences that are not replicable in your home. Okay? That's one of the reasons why you had Champions Club. Now, people at home sit and watch say, Champions Club's empty. On the, on the outside, sometimes it is. On the inside, it's packed, man. Like at least, at least when I get up there and see it, like there's a lot of folks inside Champions Club. You know, having more experiences, like more things you can take. There's baseball stadiums now that have like, you know, six-hole putt-putt courses. You can, you can just take your kids to do other stuff during the ballgame. Um, so, yeah, I, I, it's just – it's a hard stadium to get to. You got to make sure that that the experience is, is, is sort of a can't miss experience, um, and that's just a, a lot of teams out there are dealing with that. We get a lot of emails to our, our inbox, nolcast@gmail.com, who complain about this, and they're like, "Hey, look at this team; they're, they're not doing this." I'm like, yeah, they've got a major metropolitan city forty five minutes away. Mm-hmm. Everybody day trips Tuscaloosa. Okay, everybody like you know. A lot of these, like, yeah, exactly, man. Almost everyone needs a hotel in Tallahassee, and they need a reservation, which is a great time for us to talk about Charlie Park, by the way, because Charlie Park for the spring game is the spot to be. Hit hit us with the details, man. What we got? 
No, absolutely. Yeah. No, thanks for uh, throwing me straight into that. Uh, <laughs> no, I was able to fortunate enough to spend some time with Matt Thompson this weekend and uh, he's very excited about the future of Florida state football and very excited about the spring game, uh, encouraging people to make reservations, uh, whether it be Thursday, Friday or Saturday. Um, they do have their brunch on Saturday and Sunday, a little bit of a change in that they're moving to the uh, a la carte model as opposed to what they previously were doing as far as a, a grazing uh, lunch. But uh, man, Charlie Park's awesome. I went there three or four different times throughout the course of the season, right over there by uh, the Cascades where, you know, so many people are living. Uh, it's got a great place next to it. There are a lot of players and professionals and otherwise live there. Uh, it's one of the better spots in Tallahassee that I've seen. And the fact that you can walk two minutes and be at Charlie Park only makes it better. So uh, whether you're in that area because you're staying at the AC Marriott that it's attached to or whatever else, keep in mind Charlie Park, one of the premier places in Tallahassee and always one of the premier uh, options for, um, you know, just to elevate your Florida State experience that much more whether you're coming in for a spring game, coming in for a game during the season, or uh, whatever reason you find yourself in Tallahassee. Absolutely, man. It should be an awesome time. Well, one of the, the reasons why I like having the live chat when we do this is we get questions. And sometimes these questions clue me in as a host that maybe we didn't fully flush this out. So Brandon Solomon asks, is there going to be one empty side of the stadium this season? I haven't kept up on the renovation aside from seeing the pictures. That's a great question for us to take because – you and I both know, no, there's not going to be an empty side. They're going to have temporary seating. That's one of the reasons why they're using two summers. Like they're not going to play a game in front of 25,000 people all, all year. So there will be temporary seating on that side. The suites on that side, I believe, will, will obviously still be open as well. So, uh, no, th there will be temporary seating, which is kind of a pain to put in too, you know, uh, and then take down. But I, I feel for all the folks who, whose longtime season tickets, um, you know, went away or got relocated or, or some probably got priced out. Some are probably going to have to sit more more in the sun. Maybe, maybe they can find a way to create an enormous like shade thing at some point, um, which would be awesome to make the other side of the stadium a little more uh, habitable for some of those noon games. But no, there will be temporary seating. Nope. Um, let me ask you this. Hypothetically, let's say that eligibility requirements, not eligibility, uh, eligibility restrictions, like you only you only get to play, you know, four seasons of play. Let's say those go away. And I think eventually they will because the Miami kid is getting his ninth year. Hmm. And some of these federal courts are increasingly, like especially in that Illinois one, uh, recognizing a right uh, to earn a living playing college football. Uh, now, imputedly via NIL right now, but I think as we see that, that could be qu quickly moving in multiple directions. You know, I'm trying like perfect planner for this. I don't know if Jordan's a perfect, but he is, I think, potentially a good one. Like a Dylan Gabriel, you know, would be, would, would be one, maybe Talia, like guys who probably aren't going to get drafted, but are really good at college. That's sort of your perfect plan if you're to assume, like, look, man, I have a like a professional college football skill set, not a professional NFL skill set. And I realize the absurdity of the statement. Like, I'm not not in a bubble here. Like, I just am trying to see what's coming down. Am I crazy to think like 
that would that would have been a better path for Jordan Travis because he could play another like five years and make, I don't know, like according to reports out there, a lot of these top quarterbacks, uh, you know, make close to a million or sometimes a little more. Um, like it's very foreseeable that a guy like a Jordan who doesn't really have as much of an NFL skill set, uh, you know, may or may not get drafted. Unfortunately, obviously, due to the injury that plays into that, that he could play like another five years do really, really well and make a lot more money doing that than he would have, you know, risking going to the NFL. I, I don't know how far off we are from this, or if I really even have a question, I just, some of these guys would have a lot of value for, for their longtime attachment to the school, you know? Um, It's going to be very interesting, bud. I mean, there are guys that I could see this being, uh, you know, they could be an eight year, um, uh, college player and um good deal just had a little panic attack that i had 11 o'clock meeting or 10 o'clock meeting that i'd forgot but nope it's 11 o'clock so <laughs> uh good good stuff um there are guys there are guys that i could think of um look yeah i, I almost don't want to mention them because I, I don't want to slide them up want all these kids to have as as good of an experience as possible okay here, here's a kid that I think. Um, this dude's awesome. I love talking to him. Uh, he's very talented uh, as a football player and is beginning to uh, produce really good content. If you've had a chance to look at some of the battles and stuff that they've done with Big Meech, or that we've done with Big Meech, um, he interviews players. It is a unique perspective. I think the content's getting better, and, and Meech has a future at doing this. Um, is, is Meech going to be a first round pick or something like that in April? No, he's not. And, you know, he, he might be a, a late round pick. Maybe he's maybe be an undrafted free agent. Um, guys very, you know, if he isn't, uh, doing content, I think he'll be coaching the guy has a sharp football mind has a bright future ahead of him and tied to the sport doing something. But can Meech be your, you know, starter at right guard for the next six or seven years had eligibility requirements not been there? Yeah, I could very much see that being the case. And, you know, that's a piece you could build around. Go out, occasionally take a shot at the five-star tackle or whatever, but know that you've got your interior of your line kind of settled uh, for the foreseeable future. So, um, yeah, this will be interesting to see. And, and you're right, some of the language uh that is coming out of certain courtrooms is more and more talking about this as denial of access to employment and would it shock me if uh if you don't see a guy play uh linebacker for uh you know for georgia tech for eight years or something like that in the future no it wouldn't in, in, in fact I, I think if it's a coin flip um it, it may be a little better of a 50 50 chance to, that we see that at some point in the next decade or so yeah, I, I I agree with you. Honestly, like as far as offensive line, dude, a lot of the unwatchable college football comes from just youth on the offensive line being unable to block. Mm -hmm. If you if you let us have like 25 and 26-year-old, like not NFL talents, clearly, because if they were NFL talents, they'd be in the NFL or most likely would be in the NFL. Uh, but you know, guys who just know what the heck they're doing, who are grown men, uh, that would be, as far as quality of play viewing, better. There's a lot of like negatives that come along with this. Like I'm not, I, I'm not blind to that. I'm not. I'm actually not in favor of this. I don't, I, I'm, I'm against this to be honest. But I think it's not an inevitability. But I think it's it's a a, a likelihood 
uh, that we get. I think as you know, from just reading these things, it's like, all right, they're kind of finding a right to make a living playing college football. This is not that far off, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you could demonstrate that you have a college skill set, not a pro skill set. Um, you know, it, it sort of creates that differentiation as to where you can't just go play NFL ball. You're you're playing professional professional college football player is still one of the weirdest sentences I think we'll ever ever be able to say, you know? Um, but yeah, like there's certain guys, I think, I think Meech is a, is a great example. A, a dude who is like a solid college player. I would be absolutely shocked if he got drafted, you know? Um, maybe he does. And that would be incredible for him. I, I would be not shocked, but a little bit surprised if he made an NFL roster for more than a year or two, but he is on FSU's roster. If he was still around, I think he'd have a pretty damn good shot to and healthy start for you. Uh, so, yeah, I, it, it's interesting times in which we live. Other things on the rundown. I'm going to skip the question we got on is Florida's schedule actually that much harder than FSU's? We, we can kind of run some modeling on that. We're over an hour. Norvell's buyout is, what, like $6 million, I think, right now, if he leaves within the next year and it goes down from there. You don't have a lot of leverage. Okay, you're you're not in the SEC. Norvell's a very in-demand coach. Uh, I think he has a great setup in Tallahassee, honestly, for his style of coaching and for how he wants to run things for the most part. That's not saying that there aren't more ideal setups out there. I don't think there are that many, at least in the short term. But Norvell and his agent, Jimmy Sexton, are not idiots. They're not going to lock themselves long-term into a situation which at this point is uncertain and by the uncertainty, I mean specifically FSU and the ACC. So uh, you didn't go into that negotiation with a ton of leverage. They, they they held the cards. And it's honestly sometimes good that you have a coach that holds the cards because it means you got a good coach. Mm-hmm. So True. As long as you're not assessing uh, the cards that he holds every year, then, uh, yeah, I think you're happy to do it. Uh, so. Yeah, 100%. That's all I got for today, man. You got anything else? No, good stuff. Good stuff. Enjoyed it. Like that was a solid hour, hour and five, and uh, not always easy to do in February. So, oh, have you heard any rumors on Jared Verse? Because uh, I guess he's he's four five eight on on the prize picks. Ooh, that's a. I mean, that's a. Might be a little bit of an aggressive time, but I don't know. I've never seen I've never seen yeah. Jared run to forty. I just. Also know that Jared's one of the more singularly focused guys that I've ever encountered. And Jared's been, I think, out in Arizona getting ready for the draft. And uh, yeah, uh, four, five, eight, I would be surprised by, but uh, wouldn't put anything past him. I will give you guys one. I don't think that JJ McCarthy should be four, six, three if Michael Penix is four, six, four. I think McCarthy's a better athlete than Penix is. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if the right way to play that is more on Penix's 40 time or or less on McCarthy. So I'll kind of leave that up to you. Uh, but I, yeah, I I think McCarthy is faster than Penix by more than okay. 0.01. All right. So never know what you're going to get 67 minutes into the null cast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Last thing, last thing. Um, this is not a, a super positive thing, but it is some data that, that has been coming out and I think possibly explains part of Jordan's draft stock stuff. Uh, some of these guys who have come into the league who are older, uh, Kenny Pickett being one, obviously, who had a baller like final season, 
there's there is increasingly some analytics that say like some of these guys are balling in college because they're older, you know, and like they're they're kind of getting docked NFL wise for that. There's been a couple mm-hmm. recently. Uh, Will okay. Levis as well, um, who, who came back and, and killed it. Uh, so I don't know. Um, we'll see. Ho- hopefully Jordan gets super healthy and uh, and could show out, you know, at some some later date. And I, I can't wait for it. Cool. So awesome, man. Good uh, stuff. I will see you next time. I got to go to IMG for their their pro day. So should be good. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. I'll see you, buddy. All right, dude.